Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Cash That. Put your money where your bets are. (laughs) (laughs) I have some great bets for you. Um, I'm the fiance of the guy that does this podcast, but I just know how to school him on a little bit of sports betting. So we're going to go over this real quickly. He's going to do a little interview. So guys, this is your host, Joe Delera. Uh, producer Corey's not with us. So I had to bring in a little bit of, you know, I had to raise the attractive level of this podcast. So normally it's producer Corey that does that for me. This time I had to bring on my fiance. She said that she knows her MBA stuff and that she is ready to talk about this Wednesday NBA playoff slate. So we'll dive in after this little brief little interview and I'll talk about the slate a little bit myself, but she did have some plays that she wanted to get out there first. And she really wanted to talk about the New York Knicks. What are we, what are we thinking about the New York Knicks? I think Tibbs is doing his job. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think that. Personally, watching the game yesterday, I had a feeling Knicks were going to clinch the win. And I have to say, if I were going to put money where my bets are tomorrow, it's going to be the fact that Knicks are going to be minus, I would say, minus five. Okay, so you're going with a very big alternate line here. The New York Knicks are actually five and a half point underdogs, but you have them not only covering the underdog spread, but winning outright and winning by more than one possession in this game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. 100%. I think Tibbs is on his little grind here. So do you think that part of this has to do with the fact that Tibbs has really been able to make some adjustments and, you know, we've, we've seen Tibbs make some adjustments where the Cleveland Cavaliers have been unable to do so. Do you think that that's a big factor in why you like the Knicks in this spot to close this out on the road? Well, just after watching the game yesterday, um, for someone who doesn't always pay attention to sports, but when she does, she makes a pretty good analysis. And I think Tibbs is just on this winning streak. I think that Randall's really the backbone to this team, but Brunson is really the all-star here. Yeah, I mean, as we as you guys know, we're big Jalen Brunson fans over here. So uh, Brunson's been awesome. He's actually done a really good job of navigating some of the screens here. And one of the things that I've liked, and I know that Jenna has also appreciated as she has to watch these games with me, is that Brunson has been a really good navigator of these screens, especially when they're set by guards. And his fellow Villanova counterpart, Josh Hart has been a major, major factor there. Have you felt like Josh Hart's been like a real spark plug for this New York Knicks team with the way his rebounding has been? I think personally, yes, but also people aren't giving enough credit to Quickly's defense at the end of the day. I wish you guys could see the look that I just gave her because, <laughs> I mean, Quickly he hasn't been filling it up in the stat sheet as much, but his defense has been pretty valuable between Quickly. We have a little bit of Miles McBride actually getting some minutes there. This has been a great spot for New York as one of the things that Cleveland has struggled to adapt to has been the fact that they really only have two primary scorers on offense in Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And it's created this dynamic where the Knicks have been able to help off of their fifth man, generally Isaac Okoro, or even if Karis Levert's not cooking, and we've talked about how Karis Levert is not the most efficient of scorers, that New York is able to then double Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and it's creating 
a slog in the Cleveland offense because both Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, their two bigs, are not necessarily primary scorers. That's not really what they do. So I think on this game, I hope the Knicks advance. I like the Knicks to advance in this spot. You know, the I wrote an article for the Action Network about teams that are up 3-1 and how that kind of affects the series prices and how teams generally go on. But 95% of teams that are winning 3-1 to one in a series move on to the next round. So New York is in a great spot here. At worst, uh, even if they drop game five, they are going to have an opportunity to close this out and move on in the garden in New York. So uh, thank you for your contributions about the New York Knicks, but I want to turn to the other game, the next game on the slate. We have the Los Angeles Lakers against the Memphis Grizzlies. The Lakers are on the road against John Morant and the Grizzlies. Do we have any thoughts about this, Jenna? It's not going to let them. I think I like watching the game yesterday just because and the start of the game, you can kind of see LeBron going on the court and trying to give some of the new players and people off the bench some time. And it's really interesting to see the way he sets up these players and kind of runs the team in the beginning. But you all see it. You always see it in the back of LeBron James' head. He he totally lays off in the beginning, not giving a lot of effort into the game. But as soon as his team and he gets – you could tell he gets a little anxious – and then he absolutely comes out and he you can tell LeBron steps on the court and he's like, I'm not going to lose this game. So when you really think about it tomorrow, I personally think we could be looking at something similar. But if he keeps giving too much time and wanting to set up the team, that they could fall back too much and he won't be able to pick up. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's an important point that you raised there. Uh, LeBron James obviously had an incredible game four with a buzzer beater, uh, 20 point, 20 rebound performance with seven assists. I think it was 22 points, actually, including some of the go ahead points there. Um, it he's he's just a freak. I mean, it's whenever whenever there's a chance that he can win these games, you know, he goes out and gets it. We actually just saw the statistic that he has the most buzzer beaters, just period. Song. period like he knows what he's doing so um it's a good spot for la a big problem for memphis has honestly been the fact that they're shooting well below expectation on the series and a lot of that has to do with the defense that they're getting from not only lebron james but they're also getting some great minutes from jared vanderbilt from anthony davis in particular on the interior it's it's really been tough sledding for john morant here you know, he obviously got into the he was in the media about, you know, the guns and the threats and things like that. Do you think that that's been a little bit of a distraction for this Memphis Grizzlies team as they've tried to get into the playoffs, get into a rhythm? Maybe they have some locker room things going on that, you know, it's prevented them from gelling as much as they needed to. Can it not be? You see this in a ton of sports. You see it in the NFL. You see it in the NBA. And I've seen a lot of coaches come in and say, if you don't have a good locker room, a lot of the times all those emotions end up showing on the court. Um, And to be honest, I think the other, like the Lakers are smart and they're going to play off that. Yeah. So I think this is a great spot for the Lakers and we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit, but Jenna did have some final thoughts on the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. You know, she's, she loves Giannis, obviously, but we've just been seeing an absolute performance from Jimmy, a.k.a. Himmy Butler. What do, you, what, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about Miami? They're 11-point underdogs here in Milwaukee. They're up 3-1 on the series. They're 11-point underdogs. Do you think that they are going to be able to 
clinch this series here in Milwaukee or, or is Milwaukee going to steal this one and maybe Miami tries to take this one at home? I think what people underestimate sometimes with Miami Heat is once they're on a streak, they're on a streak. It's Are, like the team literally, you can see their morale build yeah, and they just come onto the court with so much fire on their asses. It's like you lit them on fire like and heat, they just yeah. perform. Do you, are you a believer in the proverbial heat culture as the youngins say? Heat culture, yes. absolutely. When I if, if that's what I, I mean, if that's what people are calling it, like that's fine. But like to be honest, like seeing Jimmy Butler play and walk off that court just so confident. I don't care if they're on the road. I don't care if they're home. If they don't clinch this win tomorrow, best believe the end of the series is the game to follow. So that there you got it. You know, you heard Jenna. She gave out her best bets. You can actually get the Miami Heat minus one and a half games at plus money. Still, it's plus 116. That would be Heat in six. And you can actually still bet. I, and I'll get into this, but I think that the Heat are severely underpriced on the series. You can get them still at about minus 110 to win the series, which in my opinion, I think is honestly just a little bit crazy. But we we shall see. So Jenna, it was a pleasure having you on here. Uh, thank you for your thoughts. And we'll, uh, we'll, if you don't do well, I'm sure the followers and the listeners will, will let you hear it over the Twitter space. And if any of my uh, fans out there from this one little five-minute fame want to take a little risk with me tomorrow and bet uh, Miami Heat minus five and you win some cash on it, you can Venmo me. <laughs> That's Joe. <laughs> Slide in my DMs and uh, Venmo me your little cash prize. Well, there you, <laughs> there, there you have it, folks. Uh, we're going to have to put in a timestamp there so everybody knows when exactly to uh, to just stop listening because they don't need to hear me anymore. But um, so, Jenna, it was a pleasure having you on, obviously. And, you know, we will we will get into these. We will get into these games now. So I do want to expand on about the Knicks talk just a little bit. The New York Knicks are in a great situation here. Um, and so are the Miami Heat for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I think that both of these teams are now, there's a little bit of value on them, especially with the fact that the Boston Celtics just lost game five to the Atlanta Hawks. As the Hawks are kind of, I don't expect the Hawks to win. Boston should win this series. But the fact that it's stretching this out a little bit, it's stretching the amount of time that Joel Embiid, who, in my opinion, biggest winner, biggest winner, not the Atlanta Hawks, but it's Joel Embiid's knee because he's going to get another three days off, basically, to repair, to recover before that series against Boston. It, it's creating a window for both New York and Miami. I mean, Cleveland could get come back in theory. So could Milwaukee, but it's a tougher task. It's creating a window for them to come and steal an Eastern Conference spot. And by that, I mean the fact that, look, I think that any series between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers is going to be a longer series. I think that that's going to be a grind. That would be the best team that either has played up until this point in the season or up until this point in the postseason. And if they go seven games, there's a big trend right now. And the big trend is when teams go seven games and they play the uh, they play an opponent that is not played seven games, so they would have a rest advantage. 
the opposing team with the rest advantage generally wins game one. And that's a big deal when you're looking at teams like New York or Miami that if they are able to get a rest advantage and steal game one, puts them in a much, much better position to win the series. The other thing is that both of those teams have shown some success playing against Boston, playing against uh, playing against Philadelphia this season. So it is definitely an opportunity for them, uh, especially if Milwaukee obviously is eliminated as realistically one of the top two teams in the NBA, uh, in my opinion. So it's it's a very interesting spot. And with New York, they're about 11 to one to win the title right or to win the Eastern Conference uh championship at this point and i think that that's a little bit underpriced but miami in particular is very underpriced because look you have jimmy butler you have eric spolstra you know what they can do in the postseason uh they're up 3-1 on milwaukee right now their current odds of plus 2000 give like a less than five percent implied probability that they represent the easter conference in the nba finals i don't think that that's an appropriate number at all. Like I understand that they should probably be underdogs. Uh, but I think, look, if they're going to play New York there, it's going to be a close price. Like what are they, at, at most, maybe they're plus 110, plus 120. Um, obviously, they're going to be a big dog to Boston. But that's assuming Boston gets by Philadelphia. Philadelphia, they'd be a little bit of a shorter dog too. It's definitely a better price than the money line rollover, in my opinion, at this point in time. Uh, and you know, we have some good numbers on Philly. We have some good numbers on Boston. I, I think that this is. I think you have to bet on Miami at twenty to one to win the Eastern Conference right now. One other piece of news, obviously, is that De'Aaron Fox fractured his finger. Uh, in his shooting hand in the last game uh, of game four, right? So it's a very interesting situation. De'Aaron Fox is swearing that he is going to play, uh, and he's swearing that there's just no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm playing in this game. But let's talk about what exactly this means, right? Um, it's in his shooting hand. It's his, it's his dominant hand. He's been incredible so far this series. 31.5 points, six rebounds, seven assists, and 2.5 steals for him uh, per game. So you really have to wonder how much this injury is going to affect him uh, specifically in the spot. The type of finger injury that De'Aaron Fox suffered is called an avulsion fracture. So I'm not a medical expert, but... From my aggregation skills, I've been able to determine that an avulsion fracture is actually when a tendon or a ligament pulls off a piece of bone, um, and that's like what causes the fracture. So this fracture is to his left index finger, which is, I believe it's his dominant hand, and that is fairly significant, right, uh, in this spot because you're looking at the situation where you're saying, all right, well, how is this going to affect his shooting? How is this going to impact the way that he plays? Is it going to make him a little bit less aggressive? Like, what is what are the circumstances? Well, a lot of this has to do with the fact that, you know, these these teams or these players rather um, have to deal with the pain tolerance. 
he's a lefty. So this is his shooting hand. This is his dominant hand. Uh, and you have to imagine that it affects the way that maybe he handles the ball. He dribbles the ball and maybe even the way that he shoots. A lot of the things that go into this type of fracture and dealing with it are like what exactly he's going to wear or what the brace is going to look like. There were some pictures out there on the internet today that showed it looks basically like some sort of like a brace on his finger. And the brace is basically, um, it looks like there's two pieces of Velcro that go over the top of the finger with a solid piece in the bottom. So that would obviously impact, it would likely impact the way that maybe he can dribble the ball, the way that he passed the ball, the way that he can shoot the ball. And being a lefty, that's definitely significant. I think that Fox may look to be a little bit less aggressive, especially on this from the stealing aspect, right? So he's averaged 2.5 steals per game uh, so far during the series. I'm wondering, you know, and it's something that I think we need to consider, is he going to be a little bit less active Um steal like on steals he only had one steal in the game in game four um this line is set at one and a half that's a spot that i probably would look to go under on another spot that's been really interesting though is the aaron fox has had nine rebounds in back-to-back games we've seen this before with players like when they hurt their hand or they hurt uh something similar to that so his rebounds line is at five and a half um or i that's that's where that's where it's been set right so I haven't seen it live at the time of this recording, but that's a spot that I'm going to be targeting an under four um, over the course of the entire season, right? De'Aaron Fox has only hit this five and a half line in 21% of games. Despite So despite him going over in back-to-back games with nine, he in his previous games against the Golden State Warriors had gone under that in every single game. So given the injury, given the fact that like jumping, jumping for rebounds, you know, you don't want to, like, you know, jam your finger, you're you're automatically, your body's visceral reaction is going to be to avoid that type of contact. Uh, Maybe be a little bit less aggressive because you want to avoid that pain. It's not something that you can do. You know, if you're dribbling the ball, you kind of know you can tolerate that pain. It's something that you're expecting. But when you're going in for that type of rebound or something like that, that's a spot that I would like to fade him a little bit. This is a really important game, though, and I think the Kings obviously need De'Aaron Fox. They hope that he can play to his ability um, in order to push this series longer because you really don't want to be in a situation where the Warriors are in a closeout game uh, in the Chase Center, um, which is would be what they could do in Game 6 if they're able to win. So I do think that this is very important. One of the other things that I wanted to touch on, and it's something I wrote about in my game guide uh, for the game four guide that I wrote on this game. And it's that I thought it was fascinating the way Steve Kerr actually made an adjustment. And the adjustment was the fact that we saw them actually run Draymond Green, bring him off of the bench. So we're not 100% certain if they're going to do that again. But part of why they did that was that it really, really opened up the offense for the Golden State Warriors. Namely, it opens it up quite significantly for Steph Curry, right? And the reason and the way that it opened it up for him was the fact that with only one non-shooting big or really one non-shooter on the floor, the Warriors were able to really space the lineup, just space out all of their players 
and create a little bit more driving opportunities. They were able to run high pick and roll with the non-shooter. And you had Looney, you had Draymond running high pick and roll. And that's something that worked for them in game three. It also worked for them in game four. And it lets it's, it creates a little bit more of a fluid offense. And you can't help off of one of those non-shooters. You really you or you or keep somebody floating in the paint. You have to have somebody glued to Steph Curry now. And you also have to have somebody glued to every other player on the floor because everybody can shoot. And that's so, so significant. So one of the spots that I think I still like is Clay Thompson. His three point line is set at uh, it's set at four and a half and it's plus money. You know, he's missed it in the last two games against uh, against Sacramento. But previously he had hit this in 10 straight games and over his last 30 games, uh, you know, he's still hitting this at 47%. So you're getting about fair odds, but he, in his last 10 games, he's hit this in eight in a row. So I do really like the spot for clay. The volume is obviously there. Um, he's taking plenty of shots. He's averaging, uh, 11.4 threes, three point attempts over his last 10 contests. So that's a hundred percent, a spot that I like. One playoff series that I wanted to touch on that it's not formalized just yet at the time of this recording, but I did want to talk about the likely matchup of the Nuggets versus the Suns. Um, Look, both of these teams are up three to one at the time of this recording. Uh, Both teams are in close games right now, uh, but I do think that this is a matchup that we're very, very likely to see. Um, It's not a spot that we've really gotten to see a ton of, right? Like it's just, it's, it's been, it's, it's been a, it's been a spot where neither team has really gotten to play their guys. The, the, as much as they probably would like to one particular matchup that I think is going to be fascinating is Nikola Jokic versus Deandre Ayton. In the last, they haven't played head to head since December 25th of 2022. So Christmas Day, Jokic dropped 41, 15, and 15, which is just disgusting. But then that was the only game they actually played head to head this season. So you're seeing a lot of spots where the Denver Nuggets haven't played Phoenix at full strength and, and really vice versa, right? So it's it's definitely a spot that I'm going to be interested in. The other thing is Phoenix just doesn't take threes and Denver, on the other hand, they, they do. And that makes a pretty significant difference, right? Just from a math perspective, because when we look at both of these offenses, they're both elite in their own way. Um, If we look at both of these teams over the course of the entire season, you have relatively similar ranking teams, right? Denver is seventh in adjusted net. Phoenix is ninth. You have to take a little bit of that, some of that with like a grain of salt, but because of all the trades that Phoenix has made, obviously acquiring Kevin Durant, but the both, both have pretty solid offenses, right? The difference is just in the way that they, the way that they shoot. Um, Phoenix just almost exclusively shoots from mid range. And they take the they take the highest percentage of shots from mid range in the NBA. Thirty six point seven percent of their shots come from mid range. They take 
the lowest percentage of shots at the rim and the 20th ranked amount of shots from beyond the arc. I'm watching this game right now. It's about, uh, what, what is this? We're at about, we're almost at halftime, right? And the Clippers are currently winning 62 to 59. Phoenix has taken six threes. Six. That really narrows the margins significantly. It means that you have to be perfect. And when you're playing a Denver Nuggets team that has one of the best offenses in the league, they're fifth in adjusted offensive rating at 116.9. And that's with Jokic getting like limited minutes in the regular season because they were blowing teams out of the water, right? A lot of the times he's he plays heavy minutes in the postseason. With that type of offense, you don't get the ability then to have those like bad quarters or anything. You have to be perfect. Obviously, with Kevin Durant, you can do that. It's possible, right? So, so far during the postseason, the Phoenix Suns, they have the second best offense in the postseason. They're at 119.8. The problem is their defense has been, yeah, and Denver's offense has been 118.4. Part of this has to do with their matchups. Part of this has to do with, you know, who they're playing and, you know, the per- some of the personnel issues and things like that. But I think right now, the fact that you can get this line at DraftKings for the series with Denver as an underdog is insane. I want to make sure that these that this game is over. Obviously, by the time that you're hearing this, maybe Denver has clinched it. Maybe Phoenix has clinched it. Whatever the circumstances. If Denver has clinched this game by the time you hear this recording uh, and they are, they've advanced, obviously barring any injuries here, I'm taking Denver to win that series against the Phoenix Suns. I think that they are a little bit more of a complete team. They have more counters. They have more personnel. They have more things that they can do. Whereas Phoenix, it's like, you know what you're getting. And it's a lot of mid-range jumpers and that, and they're not able to really get to the rim. So it's to me, Phoenix is awesome. What they're doing is incredible, but it's incredible from a fact that like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, like, how do you sustain this? This is just, I, I think it's a very tall task. So as soon as Denver clinches, I'm betting on them to beat the Phoenix suns in the next round. With that, I'm going to pivot to the National Hockey Association. Producer Corey has left a message for us here. Corey said, the Devils update. The series is tied. His future on the Devils from July is aging like fine wine, and the Rangers fucking suck. So that's your puck update. Corey didn't leave too many words, but we we do wish him well, obviously, and we are rooting actively for the New Jersey Devils. This cash the cash that podcast is a Devils podcast. So, I'll leave you with one recommendation here. And the recommendation that I have is I actually so I, I as many of you know, I can't have I'm not supposed to have dairy. So, I can't have cheese. So, I don't really have cheeseburgers. It's a little bit tougher for me. Um, you know, and I I've never even had really had them growing up. Well, 
One of the things that has been really life-changing for me has been the rise of vegan cheese options and vegan dairy options. So I can kind of like, you know, I, I understand it's not the same, like, but like, whatever, like I, I never had it. So like, for me, this is, this is great. This is like a Rolls Royce for me, even though like you guys might think it's like a, like a Toyota Prius. Right. So I, I can't really have a lot of cheese, but I do get the opportunity now and then like to have like a cheeseburger. Right. So I had a burger, uh, for dinner, a little bit a little while ago and what we did was we actually took the cheese and like mixed it in with the beef and then cooked it and it was incredible the cheese was like kind of like in the burger just a dynamite way to have it um i felt like because the vegan cheese doesn't really melt that great so if anybody else has the same situation it melted great because i think it was cooking like in the meat rather than on top of the meat just a great scenario for me I was very happy about it. And it's something that you can absolutely take to the bank. So let's stay hot, keep those grills fired up, and let's cash that.
Go, 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 go